Tracy and I are going to be going down to Santa Barbara maybe next month or, um, yeah, next month. So Tracy's dad, you know, he went home to be with the Lord and um, we never had a, like a little memorial service for him. And so we're going to go down and um, spread his ashes and kind of do a little family thing up there or down there. And um, so looking forward to that. Um, I'll tell you, you know, I had mentioned that we, we took the family to see Jesus' revolution on last Friday night. And then on Monday night, I, um, Tracy had women's Bible study, and so I said, hey, babe, I think I'm going to go see it again. She goes, really? And I said, yeah. So I went by myself, and um, it was just so enjoyable. I'll tell you, I think the reason I enjoyed it so much is that it's just really causing me to reminisce of our past, you know. And um, I was thinking as we were worshiping tonight that in Santa Barbara, when we went to Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, it met in the YMCA. And so the church didn't own its own building. For a long, long time, the church in Santa Barbara did not own its own building. Um, boy, for a long time, 20, maybe 30 years, it did not own its own building. Now it owns its own building, uh, kind of down by the, the mission, really close to the, the beach down there in Santa Barbara. But um, so we would have home Bible studies. And the home Bible study that Tracy and I went to was on Upper State Street. And uh, whenever we go to Santa Barbara and we're driving up Upper State Street, we're always trying to figure out what house it was. Because, you know, over time, everything changes. People are always remodeling and everything. And it was this older house. It was owned by um, the fellow who played the organ at the Angel Stadium for the Dodgers, you know, back in the day. And, um, and so he was never home on Wednesday night when we had our study there. He was always down in Los Angeles for that. But um, I just remember the excitement when you would pull up to that house and there would be people standing out in the front yard of the house. And then you would want to get there early so that you could sit in the room where the worship and the, uh, the speaker, the teacher, was sitting because it was an old Victorian house. And so you know how old Victorians, they're usually all broken up into smaller rooms, you know. And so people would just jam in there and we'd have speakers through the house. But I just remember the joy. And I, I don't want to lose that, though I was sharing with the men at our last Monday night study. You know, Jesus said, talking about the things leading up to the tribulation, he says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And so, you know, that's something that we need to be concerned with, that our love, love for the Lord, love for one another would grow cold, you know, as the days are getting darker, and they surely are getting darker. But we need to really be a people who are seeking the Lord, asking the Lord, Lord, please help me. I don't want my heart to grow cold. Uh, 
the joy of the Lord, you know, that's not something we manufacture or pretend to have. We want it to be genuine. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, and dependent upon the Spirit of God. You know, guys, I just want to encourage you. I, I know that, you know, at this little church, people could come here and attend here. And we kind of get set in our own little doctrinal, you know, boxes. And usually we kind of are put in these doctrinal boxes based upon the last church or, you know, our upbringing or, or whatever it might be. And I would suggest that we simply be students of the Word of God without the box, without the boxes, and there would be people who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we do pray tonight that you would bless our time as we are dependent upon you, Holy Spirit. These are the words of Jeremiah written so long ago, pertaining to a people so long ago, and yet, Lord, they are pertinent for us tonight. And so we pray, Lord, by your Spirit that you would feed us, that you would speak to us, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Je uh, let's see, fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So he gives us a time frame here. In fact, some commentators say that this was Jeremiah's last message to all the people, which is because you know that Jeremiah. It's hard, it's not really in sequence. And so um, many Bible commentators uh, tell us that this was his last message. But it says, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. And I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking. Note, but you have not listened. And the Lord sent to you all his, his servants the prophecy. He said, I wasn't the only prophet that was sent to you. He sent all of his prophets to you, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened, nor incline your ear to hear. And they said, repent now, everyone, of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land. Look at that. Dwell in the Stay where, stay put. Enjoy your, your land that's been given to you, that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Verse 6, do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you, yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saying, or says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, look what it says here, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know Yahweh. He had no relationship with God. He was a pagan. And yet the Lord says, this is my servant. 
this is my servant, and he will and I and bring and will bring them against this land, Israel, Judah, and against its inhabitants, against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of bridegroom, the voice of bride, the sound of the millstone, and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be desolate and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. You know, guys, you look at Jeremiah, and you look at all the prophets, you know, what, what a ministry they have. God calls them. Many times it seems that the prophets were reluctant, you know. Who am I to go? This is a task that's beyond me. And, of course, so many of <laughs> the tasks of God given to man are beyond man. And so the quicker we realize that, the better off we'll be to really be in that place of service to the Lord. He doesn't choose us because we're, you know, good for the job, that we'd be great for the ministry. He chooses us because it's to his glory that he uses the vessels that he uses. Remember what Paul said, he uses the foolish things of the world to confine the wise. So Jeremiah, we know, we saw it, he was a reluctant prophet, and yet he was the obedient prophet. He was reluctant, but when the Lord said, no, you're the man, you're going to do it, Jeremiah, he did it. And you think of how difficult that would be. You go and you speak to a people that simply do not want to hear you. That would be so difficult. And, and he reminds them in this text that we just read how the Lord was faithful to send not only Jeremiah but the other prophets. And uh, the message was really the same, repent. The message was really the same. You're bringing this upon yourself. It's, it seems almost so simplistic when you look at it because we keep seeing the Lord through Jeremiah addressing their idolatry. You know, you wonder, how hard would it have been to stop making carven images? How hard would it have been to stop worshiping these gods, the making of your own hand or your own vain imagination? And yet they could not, or they would not, really. It's not that they could not. They would not obey. They would not repent. They would not turn. So Jeremiah, as he's being led by the Lord, he tells the people how long their captivity will last. It will last for 70 years. During that time, all of the things that they count as a privilege and you know, something that brings joy and happiness and everything, you know, uh, the sound of, uh, you know, the bridegroom and the, and the bride and the millstone, you know, at harvest time, you know, as you're milling your, your, your harvest, you know, how wonderful that would be. When you look at the Bible, those were times of great celebration, as we saw on Sunday even, you know, the weddings were a big deal. But they're told that it will last for 70 years. Now, guys, I want you to think about this for a moment. And I, I personally, I love this because we know that Daniel the prophet was reading the very words that we just read. And in Daniel chapter 9, turn there with me. Daniel chapter 9, keep your hand in Jeremiah because we'll come back to Jeremiah. 
But in Daniel chapter 9, we know that Daniel was reading the very words that we just read because as he read this, he's in captivity and he realizes, well, chapter 9, verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ashurus, I mispronounce all these guys. I'm not concerned about it. A lot of these guys I'm not going to see in heaven because they, a lot of them were heathens. You know, they never repented. But I'm sorry for the ones, you know, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, and all that, you know. But anyway, the, the lineage of the Medes, remember the Babylonians are gone. The Medes and Persians have come in. Darius is king over Babylon. Daniel's been there a long, long time. And it says, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the numbers of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, Daniel goes on. Daniel chapter 9 goes on, and when you get to verse 20, we see that the angel Gabriel, it says the man Gabriel, but we know that it's the angel Gabriel, that he comes to Daniel and he has a message. In fact, Gabriel tells Daniel that the moment you started to pray, and we didn't read that part for time's sake, Daniel, when he heard that there were 70 years of captivity, realizing that they were coming toward the end of that 70 years of captivity, that it was ending, that God's judgment upon Israel was coming to an end. You know what he did? He repented. He says, we have sinned. He, he wasn't saying, we sinned 70 years ago. No, he's saying, we have sinned, present tense, we have sinned. And Daniel's crying out to the Lord, and he's repenting before the Lord as if he himself was responsible for the captivity. And of course, he wasn't. He was just a young man when they were taken into captivity. But the angel Gabriel tells Daniel. It's almost as if he tells Daniel, Daniel, you figured out the captivity would last for 70 years. Daniel, listen, I want to tell you about another 70 years. And he goes on, and of course we have this, this very famous, very, you know, and, and you know, guys, there's a lot of, disagreements on a lot of things in the Bible, in the church, you know, people disagree on different points of the Bible and Bible prophecy and everything. But I think the majority of people who truly study the Bible, they might have, you know, little differences here or there. They believe that the things that are spoken of here, that first of all, it's apparent when you read it, that the majority of these things are fulfilled. Their prophecies fulfilled from our perspective until you get to the, the last part of it. But Daniel's told that there'll be 70 years decreed upon Israel to accomplish six things. And then he goes on and he tells Daniel exactly when that calendar, God's sovereign calendar concerning Israel. Guys, listen. It does not concern the church. 
You, you have to, people get so confused when it comes to Bible prophecy because they want to put the church right smack in the middle of everything. Like everything revolves around us, kind of like Americans, you know. We're the, mo we're the wonderful ones on planet Earth, you know, and everything revolves around us. We got to get over ourselves. We got to get over ourselves as a nation. We got to get over ourselves as individuals. It's not about us. It's never about us. It's always about him. <laughs> and he's got a plan and a purpose. And he reveals the plan and purpose that he's going to accomplish through Israel, accomplishing six things. And he says, listen, Daniel, I want you to understand, we're not going to read it for time's sake, but Daniel, I want you to understand that this calendar of God pertaining to these six things that will be accomplished for Israel will begin when Nehemiah, a man, <laughs> you know, that will rise up with a burden in his heart to return and rebuild the gates and the, the walls of Jerusalem, that's when it begins. So Daniel, listen, when you see this happen, Daniel, when you see this happen, when you see Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the prince, oh, by the way, he, he's not here yet, he's not on the scene, I mean, he was alive, obviously, but he's, he's not here yet, he's not on the scene, he'll be the cupbearer of the, of the Persian king. That when he has a burden and he's given the green light, the thumbs up to go back to Israel to rebuild, that's when it starts. And then as you follow through this, this prophetic calendar, we see that the, six, the 77, 77s, um, they, just, they just run, you know, one year after another. They just keep ticking off. And they come to a close or to a stop, if you will, not a close, but a stop when Jesus is cut off. So from Nehemiah to Christ being crucified, that's the time, and then it stops. And we know when you study it that there's been 69 sevens that have been accomplished. So we could say Daniel's prophecy for the most part is fulfilled. This has been fulfilled. This is history. But remember, there were 70 sevens. So there's one seven that's yet to be fulfilled. The one seven that's yet to be fulfilled is seen in verse 27. Then he, the he there, is the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. One week is how long? According to the text, it's seven years. But in the middle of the week... He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. Guys, this is why, listen, if you're confused and you're saying, what's the big deal? Why are Christians always talking about the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple? What's so important about the rebuilding of the temple? Because there has to be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem for this prophecy and the abomination that causes desolation spoken of in the gospel accounts by Jesus to be fulfilled. There has to be a temple built. It will be built. It will be built. And, and so he's given insight onto something that's going to happen yet in the future. And he says, on the wing of the desolation or abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now you can turn back to Jeremiah. So I think that's interesting. I think it's very intriguing that Daniel, or yes, Daniel was reading the exact same scripture that we're reading tonight in Jeremiah. So he's reading this. Look at verse 12. 
of Jeremiah chapter 5, 25. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity. So God says, listen, I'm using Nebuchadnezzar as my servant, but once I'm done with Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to discipline the Chaldeans. Now, it will, you know, Nebuchadnezzar would be long gone by the time this judgment would come upon the nation of Babylon. Uh, this would be during the time of Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Um, but he tells them, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to use them, and then I'm going to discipline them for their own sins because they are a corrupt people. Do you remember what happened when King Belshazzar... Um, I'm get, uh, Daniel, wasn't he given Bel Belshazzar? Well, help me out here. Belshazzar, and then the king was Belshazzar. Anyway, you'll look it up later. Daniel. <laughs> but anyway, because you might be confused if you go there. But remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were not, uh, you know, Bel Daniel was received a Babylonian name. So anyway. Um, so remember, he, the king, uh, they were drinking, they were having a drinking party, and they decided that it would be fun to get some of the vessels from the temple of Jerusalem that the Babylonians had brought back. And so they took the different chalices, you know, and they're toasting to the God of this and to the God of that. And that's when, of course, that hand appeared and it began to write, you know, your weight in the balance. And of course, you guys know that. So... Jeremiah is speaking these things to the children of Israel. This is something that will happen in their future. They haven't even gone into Babylon yet. They, they, you know, this is like, yeah, whatever. It means nothing to us. Drop down to verse 15. For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, take the wine of the fury of my hand, from my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send you, he's speaking to Jeremiah, to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. So the Lord's saying, Jeremiah, I want you to tell the people that because they would not hear, because they would not listen, Though I sent them prophets, I sent them you, they would not heed my voice, they would not listen, they brought this upon themselves. This is what they brought upon themselves. They must drink the cup of my fury. And when they're drinking the cup of my fury, as the text goes on, the Lord says in verse 27, therefore you shall say to them, the them there is Babylon, I know I'm jumping off. This is why I encourage you guys to read the chapters. You'll get a lot more out of it. I was talking to a couple on Sunday morning, and um, they said, you know, we've been following along in the John study. Um, we got Warren Wiersbe's commentaries on John, and we are getting so much out of it. And I said, oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I said, you know, guys, that's how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a talking head that, that, you know, that's where we get all of our food. You cheat yourself, Christian. You cheat yourself. And one day there will be a day of reckoning. And I think one day there will also be attached to it a bit of shame. That you did not do your due diligence and studied the scriptures on your own. 
because the Lord wants you to know these things. Because your faith is built not by listening to someone like me. Your faith is built by listening to the word of God. And I'll tell you, many times your faith is built when you're listening to your own voice read the word of God. It's when the Lord is really speaking to you. I, well, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I am. You know, guys, when I teach, I, I, uh, I think of some of the people who come to both services, they see it a, a bit. I've been teaching the Word of God for a long, long time in different places, you know, at, at home Bible studies or, you know, youth ministries or whatever it might be. And uh, a lot of the scriptures that I teach, in fact, it's very rare that I teach something that I have not taught before to one degree or another. But every time I teach from a text, it's different. It's always different. Well, why is it different? Because I'm teaching as the Lord is speaking to me at that time, at that moment. And so even between you know, a first and a second service, many times the teaching or the direction of the teaching is the same text, but it changes. No, no, now he's focusing on this. Now this is the, you know, the thing. And I, you know, like to believe that that's the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's the same text, but the Lord knows who's going to be there. The Lord knows, you know, even if one person needs to hear something. And so you go off track and here you are telling this story or, or giving this illustration or looking at this verse or whatever. And you go, well, I wonder why I did that, you know. And, and one person comes up and says, or they don't come up, but Sometimes they come up and they say, you know what, that scripture really spoke to me. And that's when the teacher realizes it was for them. That detour was for them. It wasn't for me. So I say this because for you, as you're reading the scripture, I, I, I spoke on this briefly on Sunday, that believers who have a genuine relationship with the Lord have something special with their Lord, between them, between, you know, him and, and you. Now, it's not like this personal, I receive personal revelation, you know, be careful of that type of thing, especially if it goes outside the word of God. But what I mean by that is that as you're praying, as you're communing, as you're reading the scriptures, many times the Lord will speak to you about things. Um, many times you're trying to make a decision. And so often we could call everyone else and ask their opinion about it rather than just sitting down with Bible open, reading the scripture and say, Lord, would you please speak to me about this situation? I really don't know what I should do. And as you read and as you commune with the Lord, many times the Lord will just direct you. I, I, I find, I, you know, if I go through uh, <laughs> these, <laughs> you know, over here, then over here, then over here, I do that in my own personal reading of the scriptures. As I'm reading through a portion of scripture, this reminds me of something over here. So I'm turning over there, I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at that. And um, you know, I know the context of, of the scripture that I'm reading, but, but also I see how the word of God is a unit. You know, It's not just this you know, 66 books that are unrelated. No, there are 66 books that are very much related because the same spirit inspired all of the different writers to write the things that they wrote. And, and so I, I want you to, um, you know, to grow in that. 
I was listening to Pastor Chuck, and uh, Pastor Chuck was talking about kind of during the Jesus movement how a, a lot of you know the older generation they just had such a hard time with the kids that were coming in and and he said there was a um, a, a lawyer uh, from Newport Beach you know Costa Mesa's right there by Newport and uh, you know wealthy man very kind of distinguished fellow and he came to Calvary and uh, Pastor Chuck had gotten up and said open up your Bibles too and you know he looks around at all these dirty hippies and they all have Bibles in their hands and they all know how to use it and um, and and they all opened up to the text and um, and he's sitting there he doesn't have a Bible and so one of the hippie sitting next to him handed him his Bible and said, oh, you could use my Bible. And uh, Chuck knows about this because the lawyer told him about it afterwards. He said when the kid handed him his Bible, the lawyer was just kind of put off by this, you know, long-haired hippie. And here he is handing me his dirty Bible. And the fellow said when he looked down at the Bible, he was looking at a well-worn book. And he said he was just kind of flipping through, and there were things written and, and uh, underlined and marked everywhere. And he says, this kid who, you know, I have disdain for just because of the way he looks, he knows this book. And I have no idea what's in this book. And I'll tell you guys, we need to be a people like that. Man, I so want to see God work, and he will not work if people are not praying, and he will not work if people are not in the word of God, because a, a, a genuine move of God is always going to be the byproduct of prayer, fervent prayer, people praying for the lost, and um, it's going to be centered on the word of God. And this is why, you know, I, I as a Christian, I make judgments really, really fast on things um, Based, you know, the wacky things that you say, you know, that's just not because it's not. It doesn't have the element of the of the word of God and everything. But anyway, I man, I was I was watching another interview with Mike McIntosh and Raul Reese. These guys are they've got to be getting close to eighty. These two young guys, they're being interviewed by a fellow at mm -hmm. Raul's church. He's a younger guy. And he's asking these two seasoned ministers. Ralph said, I've been teaching the Bible for 50 years, man. You know, 50 years. And they're asking, and, and he said, um, and they're talking about retirement. And they're talking about, uh, the young guy is, and, and Ralph said, there is no retirement. You can't retire from serving the Lord. And then Ralph, he starts to kind of, cry a little bit and he says think of how many people are dying out there we have the truth and then mike is saying the same thing you know and these guys and i was just thinking oh lord thank you for older saints like this that are saying i'm not giving up until i until i die until i go home to be with the lord and then on the heels of that prayer was oh lord please ignite those of us that, you know, those that are a fraction of that, the, the, their age, and it's like they're yet to even get started yet. 
And I'm telling you, it is a work of the Spirit of God. He's not done working. We're done working. We're done being open to the Lord. But he's not. Anyway, well, judgment is coming, and, and the Lord's going to do all these things, and it's going to happen in 70 years of captivity. And then you get to verses 30 on down to the end of the chapter. Guys, I hope you read it. If you read it, Bible students, the ones who are in it are the ones that are blessed. I hope, you know, well, I don't like the, the haves and the have-nots. Listen to me. There's always the haves and the have-nots. Always. There are those who are hungry and those who are not. <laughs> there are those who hunger and thirst for, and there's those who say, I'm not really interested in. So there's always going to be the, the haves and the have-nots. The hungry are always going to be filled they're the haves. And there's the only thing holding us back from being in that category is our own desires. And if we don't have a desire like that, let's pray and ask the Lord, Lord, please give me that desire. But if you've read those verses, you know that it speaks of judgment that's coming. And if you've read those verses, you know that it's speaking of judgment that's coming upon the whole earth. How do you know that? Because it says the whole earth. <laughs> it speaks about the all against all the inhabitants of the earth. It's not speaking about Babylon. It's not speaking about the Medes or the Persians or the Romans. It's speaking about the whole earth. The whole earth. It's speaking about what we see in places like Revelation chapter 19. Guys. Bible prophecy has a near and a far application. Jeremiah, prophetically, as he's speaking to the people, he's not only speaking of the captivity that they would go into because of the judgment of God upon them, because of their idolatry. Seventy years in captivity. Why 70 years? Because 70 years, no, 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 490 years. You did not trust me. Remember, let the land lie foul every seventh year. Don't plant anything. Don't, 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 just let it go. They said, oh, we can't do that. We'll starve. We'll starve if we don't, you know, and uh, this isn't good business, Lord, you know. I mean, we got to keep the machine going, you know. And he says, you owe the land 70 years of Sabbath rest. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out so the land could rest for 70 years. And so, because they were not obedient in so many areas, they brought this upon themselves. Chapter 26. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all uh, the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, and all the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen. Now, guys, listen. The Lord is speaking. He's speaking to Jeremiah. Perhaps, perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way, and I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings 
And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them out, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and you will make this city, and, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. <sighs> a curse to all the nations of the earth. Well, that's what Israel is today. I mean, people see it either as a curse or a blessing. All the nations of the earth today, present tense. God means what he says. Now, as I read that, you might be thinking, God is sovereign. God knows all things. God knew that they wouldn't listen. Why would God say to Jeremiah, as Jeremiah is speaking to the people, so it's like Jeremiah is speaking in the first person on God's behalf. Why would he say, they may heed my words. They may repent. You know, guys, I think it's twofold. I think because, number one, there's always an opportunity to repent. You know, no one will stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I didn't know, I, you know, you weren't clear, I, 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 you know, I, I was confused on the matter, you know. They'll say no, no. But I also think that the reason the Lord speaks like that is so that we could read and others could read and generation after generation of people can read and say, listen, this is God's heart. God wants us to repent. God wants us to turn. God wants us to return. God wants us to do the right thing. And if we do the right thing, then his blessings will continue to flow. If, if we don't, we're bringing it upon ourselves. Stop treating your wife like that. You're going to lose her. <clears throat> Stop disrespecting your husband. You never have anything good to say to him. Stop exasperating your children. They're so frustrated. They feel like they can't do anything good. What are you doing? These are exhortations. These are exhortations from the word of God. If we don't heed them, we bring the trouble upon our own heads. See, we couldn't say, Lord, I, I didn't know how to be a, a Christian husband. I, I didn't know what you expected. Yes, you did. I expect you to love your wife as I love the church. I can't do it, Lord. I know you can't do it in and of yourself. That's why you need to abide in me. It's impossible for me, Lord. I know it's impossible for you, but all things are possible with me and in me. Do you see what I'm saying? Many times we bring this woe upon ourselves, and, and it's like the Lord is saying, come on, just, you know. I was thinking of how so often his word, even for Christians, it almost becomes a list of uh, it's almost like the law was to the children of Israel. Thou shalt not kill. 
I haven't killed anybody. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not worried about that. Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm not going to commit adultery, you know. I, hey, I might have a wandering eye every now and again, but it's all innocent. I'm not going to cheat on her. I'm not going to cheat on him. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Jesus says, if you look upon a woman, do you see what I'm saying? See, the law, as long as I don't do the letter of the law, I'm doing okay. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. It's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. And as Christians, many times we could do this with the word of God. You know, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Do we ever stop? Do we ever sit down? Do we ever ask the Lord, Father, what does it mean to quench your spirit? What does that look like, Lord? We need to take the word of God and we need to ask the spirit to show us the, the heart of it, you know. Lord, please help me to understand what this means, you know. So often a husband could say, I love my wife. How do you, how do you love your wife? Well, you know, I bring the paycheck home and I, you know, I work all day and, you know, and it's kind of this type of thing. And it's almost like, again, this kind of legal duty type of thing. And your wife is starving emotionally, and she's saying, you know what? I don't care that you're bringing home the money. Now, it'd be a drag if you weren't bringing home the money. I mean, <laughs> if you were living in poverty because you were lazy, you know, that, that would be another problem. But we have a verse on that as well, don't we? We have scripture on that as well. A man who does not work <laughs> shall not eat, you know. But the point is, is that Rather that we would that we would say, Lord, help me. Don't, don't you think it's interesting that the Lord likens marriage to that of his relationship with the church? And you think of marriage. Now, we marry people, we marry our wife, we marry our husband because we love them. Hopefully that's what motivates us. But let's be honest. They're so different than us, which is a good thing. Could you imagine if they were just like us? Oh, gosh. And we'd probably not be attracted to them, unless you're an egomaniac and you want someone just like you. But you marry someone that's nothing like you. And, and there's this rub. There's this, you know, friction. Um, The relationship between Christ and his church. We're nothing like Christ. Absolutely nothing like him. There's this friction. There's this rub. Lord, I know your word, but I'm, you know, I'm just, I have clay feet and I just can't, you know, and I. But I'll tell you, when we come to that place of surrender, or we come to that place of genuinely seeking the Lord, Lord, help me to learn my wife, to love her. This is her preference, this is what she does. This is what, you know, to love my husband, to honor him, to have respect for him. 
I remember my pastor said kind of tongue-in-cheek. He had a big family, five kids, and he said one time on a Sunday morning, he says, I know that my, my wife loves me because I get the plate without the chip in it at dinner time, you know. And uh, he was making a very subtle point. Seems like a minor thing. It might seem like a ridiculous thing. But it was a little gesture of I love you and I honor you and thank you. You know, guys, we need to, we need to be people who are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Lord gives them a warning that they could identify with. He says, listen. As Shiloh was, the temple will become. Do you remember Shiloh? That was where the ark, that was where the tabernacle was set up. So there wasn't a building, but it was the, the tent, you know, the, the portable worship center, you know, and, and the Ark of the Covenant was in there. And Eli um, was high priest and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas were uh, priests serving with him. Uh, oh, that sounds wonderful, having the boys in the ministry like that. Well, the problem is, is that Hophni and Phinehas were wretches. And they would lie with the women, and they would steal from the people. And the people were reluctant to even go to Shiloh, go to the tabernacle, because of the way they were treated by the priest. And Eli knew about it, and he didn't do anything about it. And God says, I've judged this. I've judged this. Israel's fighting against their arch enemies, the Philistines. Someone suggested, you know, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant out, you know, and uh, the Lord will be with us, you know. So there's some superstition attached to this as well. God is not in the box. Can't put God in the box. Let's bring the Ark out. You know the story, the Ark is captured. <laughs> Hophni and Phinehas are killed. Eli, who's a big, heavy guy, he's sitting on a bench when he hears that Hophni and Phinehas were killed. You kind of get the impression, you know, things happen. You know? <laughs> wretched boys. But when he heard that the ark was captured, he fell off and he broke his neck and he was dead. What happened? Ichabod. The glory has departed. The ark is gone. Shiloh will be no more. I mean, guys, this was, this was a vivid illustration for the people that were listening to the words of Jeremiah at this time, and they would say, oh, Lord. In fact, it was so vivid, verse 7, so the priest and the, and the prophets, that would be the false prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priest and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You shall surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, The house shall be like Shiloh, and the city shall be, in des uh, shall be desolate without an inhabitant? 
and all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the, uh, in the house of the Lord. So Jeremiah, you got to go. We don't like what you have to say. It says, this man, you drop down to verse 11, this man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city. Same thing, same thing. I don't know what I was speaking. Another language there. Um, same thing happens today. Anyone dare speak about the United States of America, prophetically speaking? How dare you? We are one nation under God. There, there, is, this, there is this loyalty, there is this patriotism that surpasses a devotion to the Lord that's not healthy. It's almost idolatry. I am so glad that I was born in this country. I am so glad. I'm so glad that I'm not, you know, from any other place in the world. I used to think, when I was young and surfing, I used to think, man, I wish I was from Australia. Until we, we have an Australian in our family, you know, Brittany's husband, he's from Australia, and, and boy, when you hear firsthand what's you know, what Australia was like and how Australia is now, and we all know who, uh, what Australia is like now after COVID madness. And you go, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful that I don't live in Australia or New Zealand or anywhere else. I'm so glad to be in America. But I'll tell you, guys, it has been... It's almost as if, in the past couple of years, it's almost as if the curtain has been opened and we've seen Oz behind the curtain and we're disgusted by all of the rhetoric that we've heard on so many different issues that have really been disturbing to us. I don't know about you, but it disturbs me. I, you know, I, uh, you know, I was just a little kid when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, and I remember the day he was assassinated. I talked about that before. And, uh, John F. Kennedy, of course, you know, was a big deal in the homes of Catholics because John F. Kennedy was a Roman Catholic. Uh, now we hear about a lot about the life of John F. Kennedy and the things that he was involved in and everything, and you just kind of think, oh, man, you know, there was a lot of debauchery <laughs> from the Kennedys, you know, and all. But I think the thing that bothers me is that you have John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and you start saying, were these random assassinations? And as, you know, we've heard just this year, you know, or I guess last year, 22, CIA, now they're saying CIA was involved. CIA had hired, you know, the assassin. They didn't say that they hired him to assassinate. They said that he was on the payroll. More to come. And I'll tell you, you, you just think, gosh, Lord, 
And then you feel embarrassed to think, you know, how arrogant to think that we are a righteous nation, more righteous than any other. I mean, that's how Israel saw themselves. We are a righteous nation. And they could have been a righteous nation because God had blessed them. Just like we could have been a righteous nation because, you know, we started out well. There was a potential of staying the course, biblically speaking. But because of greed and a lust for power and all the things that corrupt, you know, I mean, we, we, we see it from Genesis to Revelation, you know, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. So if you're, if you're getting a little hot under the collar and say, oh, I don't like it when he speaks about that. You know, what is he, a communist up there? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a commie. I'm just simply saying that we need, to, we need to be aware of the fact that God is nothing like us. He is holy. No one could even see God and live. That's what the Bible says. God is spirit. God spoke all things into existence. Think of that, guys. He spoke all things into existence, and he tells us in his word that all things will remain until they don't. And they're going to not stop being because of global warming or anything else, they're going to stop being because he will cause them to cease. And then he will create a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, this, this is the God that we serve. So what do we do? Humble ourselves before him. Humble ourselves. Well, if you read the text, you know that the, uh, the princes came to Jeremiah's aid and they said, he surely does not deserve to die and then they do, listen guys, this is why I, I always exhort you, and some of you look like you've been sucking lemons, I gotta tell you. Sometimes I think I should, we should share. You should sit up here, and I'll suck the lemons, and <laughs> then you'll say, what? <laughs> but, but, you know, they went back to the word of God. They said, Brothers, in Hezekiah's day, the Lord sent the prophet Micah. The message was similar to the message that Jeremiah just gave to us. And they didn't seek to kill him. They listened to him. They heeded his words. See, guys, it shows you how they had declined morally, spiritually, as a nation. You know, they had gotten to the point where it, it, it doesn't matter. They just don't care. Nate sent me yesterday a new Barna research uh, survey that came out since COVID. It was depressing. It was extremely depressing. You know, if things weren't bad before COVID, as far as church attendance, Bible reading, which, please explain to me. Explain to me two things, please. 
explain to me why toilet paper was so urgent at the beginning of, and, and explain to me why said Christians would stop reading their Bibles <laughs> during, that has something to do with paper, I, I know it does, something to do with paper, but why Christians would stop reading their Bibles during COVID. But the numbers were extremely, I mean, 6% of said Christians who have a biblical worldview. By the way, how do you get a biblical worldview? Read the Bible, that's right, read the Bible. So listen, what's the worldview on climate? What's the worldview on the LGB and all that? What's the worldview on race? What's the worldview? Guys, this, this is the worldview. And here's the thing. There are Christians that buy in to every world view <laughs> there is because they do not have a biblical world view because they're not reading the Bible. So, you know, I, the racial thing, <laughs> he's broken down the dividing wall. He has, you know, we are, we are one in Christ. Um, there is uh, the, the, the sexual stuff that are going on, one man, one woman for life. You know, this is God's design. This is God's plan for, you know, global warming. Listen, I'm not, I'm not concerned that uh, Whidbey Island will be swallowed up with water until the tribulation. Then it will be swallowed up with water. That's what the Bible says, that the islands will, will sink and into the water. So, so, you know, guys, so we look at things and we say, well, listen, book of Revelation says that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And he tells us why he'll do that. So there has to be an old heaven and an old earth still here, still standing. Don't get me wrong. We are destroying our earth and God will hold man accountable. We are not destroying our earth by the things and by the ways that the world is telling us we're destroying our earth. We are destroying our earth in the process of saving our earth, an earth that doesn't need to be saved like that. The inhabitants of the earth need to be saved. If we were more concerned about the lost souls on planet earth, if the Lord would give us a burden to go out and to share the gospel with people rather than to save, you know, whatever. I mean, we are, we are so distracted we are like, you know, dumb sheep. <laughs> look over here, look over here. Yep. <laughs> well, this is happening over here. But I'll tell you, we can sleep sound at night if we have a biblical worldview. Yes. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Lord, that you're coming soon. We pray, Lord, that it might be tonight, but even as I pray that, I know that you don't want any to perish but all to come to repentance. We pray, Father, that you would give us a burden for the lost. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as we share the gospel with people, that you would move upon the hearts of people because we can't control their hearts or their thoughts. We pray, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we look at your word, we know that there is the time of the Gentiles. And we're living in those times right now. 
We know, Lord, that when the times of the Gentiles are over, and I think that will be at the rapture of the church, then once again your focus and your attention will be fixed on Israel, the apple of your eye, and you will bring them to repentance, and you will save them, and they will bow the knee to Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Jeremiah that we could read it and, 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 and see things that were happening at that time, but also see how things are tying in with what is ahead of us. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.